Switching up the defense presents Tales from the Haunted Disco Barn. Well, hello there, traveler. My name is Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven. Welcome to the Disco Barn. Seriously, Zeke? We're doing this. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. But then, I don't get too many visitors around these parts, so perhaps my manners are a bit rusty. I expect you must be lost. Or perhaps you came out to the countryside to take in some of our lovely foliage and ran out of petroleum for your car. I could probably scare up some diesel, but if you're looking for unleaded... I'm afraid you're out of luck. You'll find that gasoline is not the fluid that keeps things running around here. Okay, I get it, you blood. I was referring to blood. That's the liquid I meant. Yeah, I know. That was a little vampire humor. Very little. I'm a vampire. Oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I know you're a fucking vampire, Zeke. I've been your partner for over 40 goddamn years. You know... The guy who has to drive the 30 miles to the Red Cross in Boston for a pint of AB every time you get a little peckish? Seeing as I haven't been able to eat a decent plate of spaghetti in four decades because of your thing about garlic, you better be a vampire. Hmm. I suppose you do look a bit like our Lawrence, but no. That's impossible. Lawrence has been gone for quite some time. It's as though he disappeared off the face of the earth. If he were still alive, I'm sure he would have called uh, sent a postcard. He was always very considerate. No, I'm afraid Lawrence is dead. That's the only possible explanation. Zeke, it's been four days. I was visiting my sister in Braintree and helping watch her pups. We talked about this. You said you were cool with it. Well, when we had our discussion, you must have forgotten to mention that apparently there aren't any phones in Braintree. Imagine, a city of that size without a single telephone. How dreadful for your sister. <sighs> Look, can we do this inside? I've been driving for four hours. I'm wicked frickin' tired. Oh, all right. Enter freely and of your own whatnot. Hey, smells good in here. Oh, no, you don't. That's for later. If you're hungry, you know where we keep the kibble. Aw, oh, man! Don't we at least have any cans of the wet food? Now, Lawrence, you know as well as I do that with your cholesterol, wet food is for mornings only. Besides, if I catch you scooting on the carpet again, your kibble won't be the only thing around here that's dry. I mean, you will be. On account of I'll drink your blood. Yeah, no, I, I got that. And you're right, Zeke, I should have called. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to worry you, it's just... You know how family is. Everything all right with the Cubs? Yeah, the kids are fine. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're a handful and all, especially during the full moon, but uh, nothing I couldn't handle. They still have more or less the same number of neighbors they did before I got there. More or less? Okay, less, but nobody was going to be missed. Nah, I had fun hanging out with the Cubs. It was Sarah that got to me. I know she means well, but she got on my ass again about dropping out of law school. I mean. I know it was the right decision. 
Chasing ambulances is a fun hobby and all, but I'd be miserable doing it for a living. Still, every time she starts going on about how it was what mom and dad wanted for me and how proud they'd be to have a lawyer in the family. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm five years old again. Might as well hit me on the nose with a rolled up newspaper. Family can be like that, I suppose. Yes. Times when, to be frank, it's a bit of a relief that all my relatives are long dead. Yeah, well, to be fair, Zeke, so are you. Doesn't seem to be slowing you down any. <laughs> oh, hush up, Lawrence. You know what I mean. Like as not, parents seem to get the impression that because they had a hand in creating a body, they ought to get some sort of say in determining what that person will become. And often as not, the offspring will just go along with it regardless of their feelings on the matter. Oh, I'm proud of you for forging your own path, Lawrence. I know how important Yesiah was to your pack, and standing up to him couldn't have been easy for you. Thanks, Zeke. That means a lot. You never really talk about your dad. Uh, were you too close? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say close, but we were often approximate to one another. We got along well enough. I remember one time we were harvesting alfalfa, and he looked over to me and said, Well, I suppose we ought to get this harvest into the barn. And I said, Yeah, I suppose. And he gave me a curt nod. Sorry to get all sappy like that, but it was quite an emotional moment. That's quite all right, Zeke. Every so often, I forget you from Maine for a second, but always remind me. Thank you, Lawrence. Well, now that you got me feeling all sentimental, I'm in a mood for reminiscing. I'm reminded of a certain story that took place in this very disco barn during a time when a certain werewolf was still off making his ill-fated attempt at matriculating from law school. Would you like to hear it? You know, I always wondered what you got up to that year. Plus, I know better than to interrupt once you start staring off into the middle distance. Let her rip, Zeke. All right, I suppose I will. I call this story Dance Contest of the Dead. The year was 1980. Business at the barn had been declining a bit over the course of the season, but we were still far and away the most popular supernatural discotheque in all of rural New England. Funky Town by Lips Incorporated was dominating the pop charts, but in retrospect, it's clear that the writing was on the wall for our preferred genre of dance music. Nevertheless, for that summer at least, we still had a fairly steady clientele that was a mix of local creatures and flatlanders willing to drive out in the Willywax for the promise of a good time. We were doing enough business that I had hired an extra set of hands to help out behind the bar. In fact, things were going well enough that I had nearly paid off the loan I had taken out a few years prior to convert the barn into the state-of-the-art dance hall that it is today. One early weekend evening, just after sunset, I was helping our new hire set up the bar for the night. Normally, we had a bit of time after opening before we got our first customer, as our particular clientele tend to prefer the dead of night to pursue their recreational activities. But on this evening, I had barely unlocked the barn door when an individual I had never seen before came in and seated himself at the bar. Hey, Jersey Devil! When you finish filling up the ice well, start slicing some oranges. That hobgoblin's been up from Brattleboro most every Wednesday, and you know how he downs those Harvey Warbangers like they was lukewarm O-negative. I'll go see to our customer. 
Forget about it. All right, then. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Disco Barn. My name is Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven, owner and proprietor. What can I do for you? Uh, hello. I've been meaning to pay my respects for some time now. My name is Stein, Furman Stein. I purchased the farmhouse a few miles up the road several years ago. When I heard there was a discotheque in the area, I could scarcely believe my good luck. I've always enjoyed soul and jazz music, and to a lesser extent, funk. But I confess the addition of synthesizers to the orchestration in the disco music that has been popular in recent years was a bit of a revelation for me. I find these songs quite invigorating, perhaps even electrifying. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a scientist, and I use electrical energy in some of my more unorthodox experiments. Puns based on my unique proclivities and an almost fanatical appreciation of disco music are my two great weaknesses. Mr. Stein, I think the two of us are going to get along. Just fine. It's doctor, actually. I hate to be a stickler, but I so detested my time at the university that I'm afraid I must insist upon the honorific title I earned there. Well then, Dr. Farmenstein, if we're going to be insistent upon things, then I insist that you let me buy you a drink. It's the least I can do to repay you for having been such a perfect neighbor. Far be it from me to turn down a free beverage, Mr. Shadow Maven, but I failed to see how you could possibly describe my behavior as neighborly. I've lived in relative proximity to you for the better part of three years now, and until today we have yet to lay eyes upon one another. Like I said, the perfect neighbor. And you can call me Ezekiel, Doc. Most everybody does. What can I get for you? Perhaps just a sherry. Or, or a dark beer, if you have one. Well, Doctor, you're in luck. We just got a couple of kegs of Doppelbach in from Bar Harbor this morning. That sounds delightful. Mr. Ezekiel, will you join me? Oh, I'm afraid I don't drink. Doppelbachs. But I'd be happy to partake in some conversation. Jersey Devil, you all right watching the bar for a spell? Forget about it. It was a slower night, and with the exception of the Hobgoblin from Brattleboro, most of our customers were drinking shots of beers, so the doctor and I had plenty of time to get acquainted. Before long, my neighbor had caught a buzz on, and as was often the case in such situations, became a bit freer with both his questions and revelations. Such discussions can sometimes be a bit awkward, as outsiders tended to be off-put by some of the less human regulars that the barn attracted. But I found that my guest had a surprisingly open mind about such matters, and also harbored a few surprises of his own up his various sleeves. I can't help but notice that there seems to be an apparently volatile mixture of supernatural creatures who frequent this establishment. Does that ever lead to difficulties? Not often. Places where creatures of the night can relax and party are in fairly short supply, and nobody wants to lose their privileges. As long as everyone follows the rules of the ban, everybody seems to get along well enough. Ah, yes, the rules of the barn. The five F's, as you so charmingly put it. No fighting in the barn, no feeding in the barn, no flapping your gums about the barn, no following anyone leaving the barn, and, uh... I'm sorry, what was the fifth F again? 
No Francis in the barn. Of course, Francis! It was that troublesome warlock you told me of who was obsessed with Grand Funk Railroad, was it? Fascinating! Back Montana Overdrive, actually. Grand Funk Railroad I could almost understand. And Mel Shaker's not a bad bass player. To be fair, Francis has been pretty quiet lately, ever since BTO broke up earlier this year. Still, if he were to darken my doorstep, he would definitely find himself a lot less sanguine than when he arrived. Heh. What would happen were someone to violate one of your alliterative protocols? Well, in that case, the rules of hospitality that bind the ban would no longer be in effect for that individual. During our business hours, the open sign represents an implied invitation to enter. The ban is a sort of neutral zone, and by going inside, the customer agrees not to violate any of the rules, and in exchange, the proprietor, in this case me, agrees not to harm the customer. If someone were to break that contract, well, all bets would be off. Do these sorts of infractions occur frequently? Not with any regularity, no. Most creatures come here to cut loose and have fun in an environment where no one will judge them. But every so often, somebody will get a bee in their bonnet and forget their manners. If it's a first-time offender, I'll usually let him off with a warning, but after that, well, let's just say that the fields around here get a bit better fertilized and I find myself with an unexpected mug-up. I see. Ezekiel, I have no wish to offend you, but I, I must ask. This sounds preposterous, but are you... That, that is to say... Dr. Stein, I'm a lot of things. I'm a farmer, a disco enthusiast, a Sox fan, and a vampire. Although not necessarily in that order. Although not necessarily not in that order. Ah... I suspected as much. You have an otherworldliness about you that I find most reassuring. Also, there's the fangs, and all the puns about blood. Well, now you know. And, although it goes against my every instinct, I find myself compelled to ask you a question in return. Ask away, my good man. Well, I'm neither of those things, but, all right, are you a mad scientist? Well, I prefer to think of myself as an I-just-sometimes-get-these-headaches scientist. <laughs> but yes, by conventional standards, I suppose my experiments go beyond the bounds of traditional reason and ethics in a way that society often describes as mad. Certainly that's what they called me at the university. Oh, which university would that be? Oregon State. Go Beavers. My father insisted that I study agricultural science with a minor in veterinary medicine. It was his greatest hope that I should someday take over the family farm and create a porcine Cortland apple hybrid. Ah, pork chops and applesauce all in one, eh? Sounds like your pa was a bit of an I-sometimes-get-these-headaches scientist himself. He aspired to such, certainly, but... Circumstances prevented him from attaining the education necessary for such ambitions. Therefore, I was tasked with fulfilling his dreams for him, that he might live vicariously through me. And I tried. But constantly I failed him. Oh, I came close. After years of experimentation, I was able to successfully crossbreed a pig and a red delicious. But was he satisfied? Never. To be fair, Red Delicious isn't exactly a baking apple. It's too mealy. 
Yes, I know that now. Part of me always knew it. The red delicious apple was an abomination before I even began my experiments. Still, my creation represented a leap forward in scientific discoveries, and my technique was sound. The grafting process had failed on living tissue, but in my research I stumbled across a new technique. I found that if I spliced together dead cells and then reanimated them by applying a combination of specific chemicals and jolts of electricity, the grafts would hold! Unfortunately, the process proved useless for agricultural purposes. Novel though they might be, the partially necrotic hybrids were incapable of reproducing, and thus worthless for commercial use. Well, regardless, it's still quite an achievement. I'm sure that in his own particular way, your father must have been proud of you. Well, unfortunately, your theory as to his alleged disposition in my regard must remain hypothetical. Before my paper was even published in Mad Scientist Quarterly, he died in a tragic accident. In his scientific ignorance, he was convinced that he could create a beef-and-potato hybrid in a manner he called the old-fashioned way. He was trampled to death by a very confused steer. When I received word of his passing, I purchased a farm nearby that I might continue my agricultural experimentation in his memory. My condolences. But, if you don't mind my saying, sounds as though your hat was never really in your line of work. You've been trying to live out your father's dreams, but what about your own? Was there anything you've always wanted for yourself? Well, there is one thing, but you must promise not to laugh. Doc, the only time I ever laugh is after making a vampire-related pun, or when I'm filled with a murderous rage. And even then it's more of a soft chuckle. Very well. I know it's silly, but when I was young, I always dreamed of being a dancer. I don't see what's so silly about that. You would if you'd ever seen me attempt it. I've got two left feet. Well, that's as maybe, but it also looks like you've got at least that many right feet. And unless I miss my guess, a couple of extra arms under that cable-knit sweater. Surely that balances things out a bit. Ah, you noticed that, did you? Yes, during the early days of my experiments reanimating necrotic flesh, I used myself as a bit of a guinea pig and grafted a few cadaver parts onto myself. I had planned on amputating them afterwards, but I found that having extra appendages could be quite... handy. <laughs> Seriously, though, I'm afraid the surplus of limbs has done little to improve my coordination. If anything, they've exacerbated my issues with dexterity. I suppose I can see that being a concern. Still, if you applied yourself to the Terpsichorean arts with the same dedication you did your scientific pursuits, I'm sure you could cut a rug with the best of them. Great dancers are made, not born. I should know. I've amassed quite a collection of trophies over the years, and I don't mean the desiccated corpses of my enemies. Although I have kept a few of those as trophies as well. But I meant the dance trophies. I'm a bit busy running the band, but I could put you in touch with some of the solid gold dancers I've trained over the years. Great dancers are made. Hmm, intriguing. But no, I must drive such thoughts from my head. It's an exceedingly kind gesture, Ezekiel, but my path was chosen for me long ago. 
Mine is to be a life of beakers and test tubes, not platform shoes and party drugs, although I may find solace in both from time to time. Such flights of fancy make for suitable daydreams, but little else. And now I fear I've imposed upon your good nature for far too long. Needs must I return to my rural laboratory and resume my work. But I have greatly enjoyed our talk. Perhaps I might return to this establishment from time to time and partake further of your hospitality. I have some excellent Walter Murphy B-sides that might be of interest to you. That'd be just fine. Pleasure to make your acquaintance, Dr. Farmenstein. Likewise, Ezekiel. And yours as well, Jersey Devil. Forget about it. True to his word, over the course of the next few weeks, Dr. Farmenstein became a regular at the disco barn. I soon found that though his science might be mad, the scientist himself was quite genial. Despite my regional prejudice against those with gregarious dispositions, I found myself enjoying the doctor's company and encouraging his visits. When business was sparse enough to allow it, which happened with increasing regularity as summer passed into autumn, he would often sit at the bar, and we'd discuss the comparative merits of Shalimar, Nashford, and Simpson. He would keep me informed about the latest advances in agricultural science, for though it had been some time since famine had provided the sort of sustenance I craved, it was nevertheless worthwhile to keep abreast of such matters. Thus it came to pass that Dr. Stein was present on that fateful early morning, when the barn received visitors of a decidedly less welcome nature. I was about to close up for the night when they arrived. Oh my god, Chad, can you believe this place? I guess I have to, Brad. I don't think my imagination could ever come up with something so rustic. And that disco ball, absolutely adorable. What a throwback. I feel like we stepped in a portal and traveled back in time to two years ago. And speaking of throwbacks, check out the old relic in the sequined overalls. I bet he earned the money for those things by babysitting for Methuselah. I don't understand that reference, but it is hilarious. And look at his friend. I haven't seen arms and legs jumbled together like that since the after party for the Yale Social. Say, old timer, how about a couple of drinks? Old timer, huh? <laughs> well, aren't you cunning? Ordinarily, this is when I'd welcome you to the disco barn and explain the rules of our establishment. But I'd say the two of you have managed out where you're welcome before it's even been extended. Chad, I think we've managed to somehow offend our host. Sorry about that, Gramps. In our defense, we've done a lot of cocaine. A lot. Now, how about a couple of fuzzy navels? I'm afraid I'm fresh out. And which ingredient would it be that you're out of? Patience. We're about to close up. I'm going to have to ask you to leave the ban. Oh, dear. I'm afraid we must have gotten off on the wrong foot. <laughs> Your friend here probably knows a thing or two about that. <laughs> oh, Chad, you're terrible. Uh, sorry about him. Uh, here, let's start fresh. My name is Bradford Chattingsley of the East Hampshire Chattingsleys, and my associate here is Chadley Braddington. Hello. I realize that we may have come across as a bit brash. Let me buy you a drink, Mr... Doctor. Dr. Furman Stein, and I'm more than capable of purchasing my own beverages, thank you. 
I realize that a few lines of powdered bravado can sand the edges from one's social graces, but it is hardly an excuse for such churlish behavior as you and your companion have exhibited just now. Ezekiel, would you like any assistance escorting these individuals from the premises? Ezekiel? Why, you wouldn't happen to be Ezekiel Shadow Maven, would you? Brad, this is Ezekiel Shadow Maven. What a remarkable coincidence. Why, Ezekiel, you are just exactly the person we wanted to talk to. How wonderful. Is it now? And just what business is it that uh, Chad Braddington and Brad Chaddingsley have with me? Well, Zeke, uh, can I call you Zeke? You may not. Our business with you, Mr. Shadow Maven, is your business. Which is to say, our business. I'm not sure I follow. Oh, let me try, Brad. This is my favorite part. Uh, Ezekiel, you know how you own this barn? Yeah. Well, you don't. We do. Or we will at the end of the month. If you fellas think I'm selling you the disco band, in the words of my friend, the Jersey Devil, you can forget about that. This land's been in my family for generations. You'd have to pry the deed out of my cold, dead hands. And I'll have you know, my cold, dead hands have a very firm grip. What colorful imagery! You are a hoot, Zeke, a real hoot! But you misunderstand me. We aren't going to buy the land. We don't need to. A few years ago, you took out a small business loan to buy the equipment necessary to convert this place into a discotheque, and you used the land itself as collateral for the loan. Sure, but I've always made my payments on time, and I have another two years left on the loan. Well, sure, that may have been the arrangement you had with the bank, but two months ago, my father bought us the bank for a birthday present, and we decided to go ahead and change the terms of your loan. I could have sworn we sent you a notification. Did we forget? Oops. Apparently you didn't get the word, so let me summarize it for you. According to the new terms of your loan, you had a balloon payment that was due last month, which, for whatever reason, you neglected to make. How irresponsible. Therefore, unless you can pay off the entirety of your balance to us by the end of next month, you forfeit on the loan, and the land and everything on it will belong to us. Uh, you can keep the disco ball and the records, though. Uh, Chad and I prefer adult contemporary. Gentlemen, and I use the term so loosely that the syllables all but disintegrate in my mouth, I suggest that you depart, and do so without delay. You meddle in forces that go far beyond your understanding and thus have placed yourself in grave peril. Chad, is that jumble of appendages threatening us? I merely offer you advice as a courtesy, one you clearly do not deserve. Your callous behavior jeopardizes your very lives. Oh, I'm sure we're safe enough. But surely you aren't implying that Mr. Shadow Maven here would violate one of his precious five Fs, are you? So... You're familiar with the rules of the band, then. Oh, we do our homework. I see. Brad, why is the old-timer squinting his eyes like that? I believe he's trying to possess our souls with his vampiric thrall. It would be a way around violating his rules because it would influence our actions without technically harming us. Quite clever, really. Oh, I thought maybe he was pooping. 
Uh, hey, old timer, you can knock it off with the squinting bit. We're land developers. We don't have souls. <sighs> Figures. Well, what do a couple of high-rolling scumbags like yourselves want with the ban in the first place? We're not exactly overflowing with customers these days, and you've already stated your disinterest in dance music. Oh, the barn as a venue is useless to us. We'll bulldoze that immediately. It's the land that we're interested in. We're going to build luxury condos for upwardly mobile young professionals from New York and Boston to use as getaways. Uh, surely you've noticed more and more of them visiting every year to view the leaves changing color. They'll come out here to get away from it all, and we'll open a chain of businesses to bring it all to them once they get away from it. Diabolical! Thank you! Well, if that's your plan, then it would appear that we're at a bit of an impasse. An impasse? I am? Uh, Chad, your family has a place in Kennebunkport. Maybe you're more familiar with the regional dialect than I am. Is an impasse what the locals call it when one party totally fucks over another party and the second party is helpless to do anything about it? Uh, no, they actually call that a Braddington after my grandfather. He was a pioneer in the field of fucking over locals. Oh, good for him. Uh, well, Mr. Shadow Maven, uh, perhaps you'd care to explain how this situation qualifies as an impasse and uh, not just an old-fashioned Braddington. Well, Bradford, if you tear down the barn, then the rules of hospitality that bind it would no longer be applicable to me and my associates. You might have some trouble selling your luxury condominium if you and young Chadley's severed heads are planted outside atop some shop and spikes. It's my understanding that upwardly mobile young professionals find that sort of thing a bit off-putting. Ah. Uh. You, the living, wish to remain so, and me and my unleavened friends would like to keep our recreational venue, but don't have the money to pay you off. So, as I said, an impasse. Hmm. The old codger raises a point, Brad. If we didn't have heads, how would we do cocaine? And if we can't sell the condos, how would we afford it? Well, there's always our trust funds. Yes, but a lot of those funds are tied up in gambling debts. True. I suppose we could hire a squad of Van Helsings to scour the land and purge it of certain, mm, undesirable elements. We were planning on doing that at some point anyway. Yes, but uh, Van Helsings are so expensive. We were going to wait until after we sold the first condo and use some of the profits to finance them. Oh, Van Helsings. Very intimidating. I'm sorry, and what are Van Helsing's? It's an industry term for monster hunters. Very effective. Are they? Sure. I always keep a few stacked like cordwood out behind the shed. They make perfectly serviceable scarecrows. Ah. Ah. However, I believe I heard, uh, Chadford, was it? Close enough mentioned something to the effect that the two of you might not be opposed to the occasional wager. We have been known to place a bet from time to time. Then I might have a solution to our little problem. How would you feel about wagering your rights to the land on a contest of some sort? If I win, you tear up your contract and I get my land free and clear. If you win, I agree that me and my fellow supernatural creatures will not interfere with your land development deal. Interesting. And how would we know that you'd honor your side of the bargain? I'm a creature of my word. But if you need additional assurance, I'd be willing to sign a contract in blood. 
such an agreement would be 100% legal binding to any supernatural creatures. I got a hypodamic pen right over there in my desk. Hmm. That might be workable. Uh, let me talk things over with my associate. Of course. Ezekiel, how can you trust them not to renege on their side of the deal? Oh, that's easy, Doc. If they break their word on a blood oath, that'd be a breach of contract that would supersede the established rules of the ban, and I'd be free to rip off their heads and feast on their blood, leaving their withered bodies as desiccated husks. Isn't that right, boys? Oh, yeah, uh, withered husks. Definitely love it. Let's say we were to agree in principle to this proposal of yours. What sort of contest would we engage in? Well, since this could be the last hurrah for the disco ban, how about we give it an appropriate send-off? Bradford, Chadley, I propose a dance contest. Uh... Mr. Shadowmaven, neither Chadley nor myself possess the necessary skills to compete in such a manner. Oh, either party would be able to select a surrogate to compete on their behalf. You'd be free to bring in any ringer you like. Getting other people to do our dirty work? <laughs> I like the sound of that. Brad? Yes, I suppose there is a certain poetry to crushing an old man's dreams using the very art form he cherishes most. Well, uh, not poetry. Um, uh, Chad, what's the word I'm thinking of? Hmm, uh, shittiness? Yes, that's it, shittiness! Uh, Mr. Shadowmaven, go get that hypodermic pen. You've got yourself a bet. All right, then. I suppose we'd better draw up a contract. Oh, no need. Uh, the fact that this is a dance contest... Makes everything so much easier. Uh, that's one of our standard contracts. I've got one in my briefcase. All we need is to fill in the names and dates. For serious. Oh, Zeke, get with the times. It's the 80s now. Uh, most major real estate disputes between an evil conglomerate and a small business owner who is beloved by their community are decided by either dancing or downhill ski races. It's standard operating procedure. Oh, let's see here. Uh, ski races, yacht club regatta, arm wrestling. No, that's really more for custody cases. Ah, here we are. Dance contest. Now, we'll need some time to arrange for impartial judges, and you'll probably want to promote the event, seeing as it's going to be your last opportunity to be open for business. Fellas, I have no intention of losing this contest. Oh, of course not. No, I'm sure you'll find some local rube with a two years jazz, two years tap, and really put me and Brad in our place. Looking forward to it. Uh, how does a month from Friday work for you? Oh, uh, well, I, I suppose that's as good a time as any other. Excellent! Uh, then, if you can just sign here? Ezekiel, I, I really think... Not now, Mr. Stein. Can't you see your friend's busy saving his business? That's Dr. Stein, and I really do think. And there we go. And now for hours. Ooh, that pen of yours stings a bit there, Zeke. Uh, your turn, Chad. Ezekiel, did you even read this contract? I scanned it. Everything seems to be on the level. And done. What about that subclause there in, in the fine print? 
Oh, I wouldn't worry about that. That's just the Gus Clause, a standard procedure in a contract or rulebook pertaining to physical competition since 1976. Gus Clause. Yes, inspired by the film Gus the Field Goal Kicking Mule. It clearly states that any and all participants in proposed contest must be human beings and alive. Why, Chad, uh, you don't suppose such a clause might negatively impact old Zeke here's chances of winning this contest, do you? What with him being an award-winning dancer, but also a vampire, and thus unable to compete? Oh, you know, Brad, it had never occurred to me before, but I just think that it might. Why, it's almost as though we did our research. Uh, see you in a month, Mr. Shadow Maven. A pleasure, Mr. Stein. That's Dr. Stein. Well, shit. Although the situation in regards to the barn was certainly far from ideal, after I calmed down a bit, I began to realize that my straits were not as dire as they might first have appeared to be. As I had told Dr. Stein earlier, I had served as a dance instructor for many of the performers who appeared on the TV program Solid Gold, and nearly a third of them were human. When I finished chastising myself for being foolish enough to be baited by those piece-of-shit real estate investors, and thanking the good doctor for his earnest, though ultimately unsuccessful attempt to call attention to my short-sightedness, I began making some telephone calls. Within a few hours, three of my former protégés had agreed to make the long journey from Los Angeles to Piscataqua County, so that I might choose from among them which might serve as my champion in the upcoming contest. Once the travel arrangements had been made, I began to feel a bit better about the entire affair. The solid gold dancers might not have my supernatural sense of rhythm and flair for the dramatic, but they were justifiably well regarded as the most accomplished mortal disco dancers in the entire world. It seemed unlikely that even with their nefarious networking skills, Chadley and Bradford would be able to find a human dancer that could give them any real competition. My sense of impending doom soon lowered itself to the usual level of pragmatic certitude that calamity is just around the corner that is endemic to all New England farmers. Allowing myself that degree of wide-eyed optimism was my second mistake, as a fateful event a week later would soon make clear. Wow! Who'd have thunk that a wet-behind-the-ears cabbie like me would get to pick up three internationally renowned dancers as his first customers? It's a shame they fell asleep right after giving me the address they were headed to. Oh well, I guess a cross-country flight must really take it out of you. And speaking of long trips, a trip from the airport in Bangor to this location in rural Piscataqua County should net me a pretty hefty fare. Maybe if I make a decent tip, I can knock off work early and Pop will let me help him with this year's harvest. He's always saying that no son of his is going to break his back working on the farm like he did, but I love harvesting pumpkins and decorative gourds. I wish I could make him understand that. Oh well, I'm sure I have a long life ahead of me and plenty of time to work out any issues with my father. A detour sign. All right, an unexpected left turn it is. Thank goodness for whatever good Samaritan it was that put that hand-painted sign there. A detour might add a little extra time to my trip, but better safe than sorry. I'd hate for anything to happen to these dancers. Sure was nice of those coked-up real estate fellas to give me that hot tip on when the flight from L.A. would be landing. 
Steven went ahead and gave the cab a free safety inspection. I can't believe that Pop always said that land developers are only looking to Braddington the little guy. Just goes to show that... Say, what's that up ahead in the road? Looks like a boulder. Well, no need to panic. Plenty of time to slowly apply pressure to the brake pedal. Well, that's weird. The brakes don't appear to be responding. If anything, we seem to be going faster. Maybe if I... While I generally consider myself a solitary creature, I was glad that I was not alone when I received word of what had just transpired. Well, hello there. You've reached the disco barn. Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven speaking. I see. Well, thanks for calling. So that was the coroner. It appears that all the dancers who are on their way to the barn have been killed in a grisly car accident. My god, man! Are you okay? No, I'm not. Quite clearly, I'm devastated. Not only have the lives and careers of several talented young performers, who were in certain regards not unlike my own children, ended tragically, but I'm also about to lose my family farm and the business that I've poured a considerable portion of my afterlife into. And the worst part is, it's all my fault. Sorry to go to pieces like that. Well, so much for my hopes and dreams. Back to work. Would you care for another Doppelbock, Dr. Stein? Hold on, Ezekiel. It may be too late for the unfortunate souls who were to assist you in this endeavor, but perhaps it is not too late to save your business. How long ago did this alleged accident transpire? Had telling not knowing, but from the shock in the coroner's voice, I'd say the news was quite recent, so probably not more than an hour or two ago. What's gotten into you, Doc? I haven't seen you this excited since I implied that the Hughes Corporation might be a tad overrated. Ezekiel, that is an indefensible music opinion, but I have neither the time nor the inclination to argue with you right now. Do you have a vehicle that I might borrow? Sure. Stephen King's old pickup truck is parked out back. But I don't see what all this bothers about. It's too late to save those dancers. They're dead. There's no time to explain, my friend. But you should know better than anyone that the Venn diagram representing the intersection of dead and no longer of use is hardly an image of a concentric circle. Meet me at my laboratory tomorrow at midnight. I have a great deal of work to do. <laughs> now what do you suppose that was all about? Forget about it. Despite the Jersey Devil's assurance that my fears were unfounded, it was with no little trepidation that I approached Dr. Farmenstein's farmhouse the following night. While I enjoyed the doctor's company and considered him a friend, there had been a mania about his behavior the prior evening, which made even a wizened vampire like myself a tad uncomfortable. Nevertheless, while I may not have shared Furman's expertise in matters anatomical, I could tell that his heart was in the right place as far as it went. So I put my concerns aside to the extent that I was able, whipped up a batch of maple blondies, and made the short trek to the Stein estate. When I arrived a few minutes before midnight, I found that the front door was open. Uh, Dr. Stein? It's Ezekiel. Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven. From the disco barn? Ah, Ezekiel! 
Excellent timing. I'm downstairs in my laboratory. Yeah, well, that's as maybe, Doc, but there's a certain formality which must be observed before I can join you. Ah, uh, of course. Where are my manners? Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven, I hereby extend my hospitality to you and invite you into my home that you may partake of same. Thanks, Doc. A simple come on in, Ezekiel, would have sufficed, but I appreciate the extra effort just the same. Here, I brought maple blondies. Thank you, Ezekiel. They smelled delicious, but you didn't need to bring anything. Nonsense. I wasn't about to show up as a guest empty-handed. I may be a vampire, but I'm not a monster. I know you sometimes get those headaches and that chocolate can be a migraine trigger, so I thought blondies would be a safe bet. A most considerate offering, my friend, and one that is certainly welcome. Since our conversation last evening, I've been so busy that I now realize I've quite forgotten to eat. But there will be time enough for victuals later. For the time is nigh for you to witness the completion of my greatest creation. A creation which promises to be the answer to your current dilemma. Oh, did you finally figure out the key to your whole uh, apple pig mix-em-up? Better! W well, as good. Uh, come, join me in my lab, won't you? This is quite the setup you got here, Doc. State-of-the-art technology, but with a few borderline gothic aesthetic choices. Very striking. Thank you for noticing. Science can be so cold and antiseptic, but with a few dramatic touches, I find you can really make it come to life. <laughs> Sorry, I got a bit carried away there. Not at all. I'm glad to see you enjoying yourself for a change. Yes, and although the circumstances which necessitated it may have been ghastly, my new creation has certainly given me a... charge. <laughs> all right, that one may have been a bit much. Yes, I felt that even as I was saying it. It's fine, just try to space them out a little more is all. Noted. So I take it from that last pun that your project involves zapping something with electricity? No, Ezekiel. Not something. Some. One. Or possibly some ones. The grammar is a little difficult to parse in this specific situation. As Dr. Farmenstein spoke these foreboding and cryptic words, he removed a sheet that had been covering what I had previously assumed was a misshapen sofa bed, which didn't quite fit with the lab's high-tech Victorian motif. But what he revealed proved to be more impactful than even the most heinous interior design faux pas. Behold my creation! I do not think it is hyperbolic to say that they just might represent the greatest leap forward in decades, not only in science, but in the performing arts as well! Doc, are those? The deceased solid gold dancers, yes. So, what you've done is stitch three corpses together. Four, actually. As you know, I have long been experimenting with the reanimation of necrotic tissue. When I heard of your friend's unfortunate accident, I realized that this presented the perfect opportunity to put my research to good use. I arrived at the morgue just in time, before rigor mortis had truly set in, and secreted the bodies back to my lab. You see, a few weeks ago you had said something that lodged in my brain. Great dancers aren't born, they are made. 
Though I had not been personally blessed with the physical gifts to entertain through rhythmic movement, perhaps I could still imbue a being with such ability through my scientific acumen. I selected the most athletic and well-toned parts from each body for my use. I also gave my creation two hearts for increased blood flow and stitched together three sets of lungs so that their stamina should be beyond compare. It was my hope that one of the dancers' brains would be intact, but alas, they were all mangled beyond repair. Fortunately, the young cab driver's brain was largely undamaged. There's surely been some loss of function due to the sustained lack of oxygen, but through a series of chemical and electrical treatments, it can be revived. The process is nearly complete. With one flip of the switch, a final jolt of electricity will shoot through my creation's brain and hearts. And not only will these corpses live once more, but with any luck, they will dance. Dr. Stein, that's ghoulish. Oh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. I didn't mean to overstep my bounds. Uh, no, Doctor, you misunderstand me. In, in this context, I actually meant that as a compliment. I'm flattered that you went through such trouble on my behalf. You really think it's going to work? Well, as they say, some things must be proven to be pudding. I don't think that's how that expression goes. No? I'm almost certain. Well, then it would appear I wasted my entire junior year attempting a comprehensive scientific proof of the existence of pudding. Perhaps they were not entirely wrong to mock my theories at the university. Well, let's waste no further time, Ezekiel. Hand me those jumper cables. For the next few minutes, the doctor worked at a frenzied pace. His assortment of arms were a blur of motion, attaching clamps, flipping switches, and making surgical incisions with a grace and fluidity which seemed to belie his previous claims to lack coordination. When he was concluded, he mopped his brow and threw a large knife switch, which was mounted on his wall. While I was still not entirely convinced by his theories, I certainly appreciated the doctor's attention to detail. And when he threw that switch, my skepticism proved to be unfounded. It's alive! It's alive! My creature lives! <laughs> it would certainly appear so. Well done, Doctor. Well done. Famine, not to put a damper on this auspicious occasion, but do you really think this fella's going to be able to win a dance competition that takes place in less than a month's time? Ezekiel, I'm certain of it. Why, they've barely been alive a few seconds and they're already attempting vocalization. The amount of fine motor skill required for speech is infinitely more complex than the gross motor skills needed for dance. I'm sure that once the muscle memory stored in their limbs is helped along by your expert tutelage, my progeny will be the greatest dancer in the world! Ahem. Present company accepted, of course. Naturally. Or, should I say... Supernaturally. Heh. <laughs> Speaking of which, are you sure that your creation qualifies as a potential competitor? As you pointed out, the contract states that all participants must be alive and human. Precisely! And my creation is both! Each component of his body is entirely human, and he was reanimated through science, not metaphysical means. And as you heard from my exuberant declaration mere minutes ago, they are most definitely alive. Remember, I was just yelling that? It's alive, it's alive, my creation lives. Yeah, Doc, I, I remember. 
There was no mention in the contract about continuity of aliveness since birth, so there's no reason why my creation should not qualify. No, I suppose there isn't. Tell you what, why don't you two get some rest? You can swing by the barn tomorrow just after sundown, and we'll start our lessons. I must confess, I'm curious to see what this creature can do. Yes, I suppose I am a bit tired, or will be once the adrenaline wears off. Incidentally, does this creation of yours have a name? I'm not entirely comfortable just referring to them as the creature. Well, I had considered naming them after myself. Furman Stein Jr.? But no, I had always suspected that that name was foisted upon me as some sort of cruel joke to try to force me into the profession of farming. You know, Furman, Farman... Well, if someone was trying to make a joke there, it was not a very well-conceived one. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. But if this being is to be a dancer, then perhaps I should name them along similar lines. Dancenstein? Doesn't sound as if they're crazy about that one. Name! Reductive! They're not wrong, you know. No, I suppose they aren't. Still, I would like my creation to bear the name of an entertainer. I know! As I was staying up working on my research, I became enamored with a program called Saturday Night Live. There was a comedian who appeared on the news parody segment from time to time named Al Franken. He seemed a genial enough fellow. Certainly not the sort of celebrity who would ever be considered problematic in any way. Perhaps he might be a fitting namesake. So, Al Frankenstein? It's a bit long, isn't it? Uh, let's just go with Frankenstein. They seem to like it. Fair enough, then. It's agreed. The creature is named Frankenstein. Agreed. The next evening, Doc and Frankenstein came by the barn for their first lesson. Although his communication skills had shown very little improvement overnight, Frankenstein's manual dexterity was off the charts. The doctor must have been correct about muscle memory being stored in the limbs, because Franken took to his lessons like a silky to krill. By the end of our fourth lesson, the quartet of amalgamated corpses was gliding across the dance floor with a level of grace that far eclipsed that of Gene Kelly. As our lessons progressed, they began to display a degree of skill which, frankly, began to approach my own. As unnerving as this development was, it did make me feel a bit more comfortable about my situation as it related to the upcoming competition. Regardless of who the no-doubt talented ringer that Braddington and Chadsley would be bringing in, there was currently no human on Earth who could surpass Franken in terms of dancing ability. And even if there were, Dr. Stein's creation would still sport a huge edge in terms of strength and stamina. There was only one problem. Frankenstein did not seem to be enjoying themselves. Oh, they performed their lessons dutifully enough, and would even add a few flares of their own to the moves I taught them. And they never once complained. But I could tell that neither one of their two hearts was really in it. More than once, I caught them looking longingly out the window at the alfalfa fields which had lain fallow ever since I had converted the farm to a nightclub. The only time I saw anything approaching passion in Franken's eyes while they were dancing was when, as a warm-up exercise, I led us in a rudimentary dance I used in beginner lessons called Diggin' Potatoes. 
in which the dancer pantomimed the motion a farmer uses to unearth tubas. Their performance of that exercise was so joyful, and I came close to giving Franken a curt but approving nod. It was that good. Fortunately, the creature's talent was so prodigious that his lack of enthusiasm would likely go unnoticed by anyone without the supernatural senses I possessed. Franken's creator certainly seemed unaware of his progeny's internal apathy. I had never seen the doctor so happy as he appeared during those lessons. There was scarcely a moment when his many sets of toes weren't tapping to the music. And when he thought no one was watching, Famine would practice the dance moves that Franken and I were working on. Didn't do a half-bad job of them either. And that's how things went for the next couple of weeks. By the time the day of the contest arrived, we felt that we were more than ready. For one of the first times since the summer, the barn was packed. Chattingsley and Braddington had flown up a panel of high rollers from Studio 54 to serve as judges for the competition, and the local supernatural community was abuzz with chatter about the event. Every supernatural being from miles around was in attendance that night, and several had traveled in from much further afield. My goodness, Ezekiel, what a crowd! I recognize some of these creatures from my time in the barn, and I know others from reputation alone, but many of these remarkable beings even strain my not-insubstantial internal lexicon of cryptozoological taxonomy. Is... is that a Sasquatch over there? What, you mean over in the corner? No, to the, the left of the dance floor, by the being who resembles an anthropomorphic pair of trousers. You mean the Fresno Nightcrawler. No, the fella next to him is not a Sasquatch. He's a Gumbaroo. His name's Cal. Nice enough fella, but he's on notice. Last time he was in here, he had a bit too much Alan's coffee brandy and nearly started at Donnybrook with a Chupacabra. Things cooled off and the two of them ended up starting a synth-pop band called Cryptid a few weeks later. But it was a whole to-do. Yeah, I'm keeping my eye on him. Uh, speaking of unusual creatures, where's our Frank had gotten off to? It's almost time for their big moment. They're over by the bar. I, I was a bit worried about their muscles tensing up, so I had Jersey Devil give them a few shots of formaldehyde. Franken's been a bit off tonight. About halfway through the drive over here, they became strangely silent. Even for them. I think it's just nerves. I wouldn't be so sure about that, Doc. And what do you mean by that? Oh, probably nothing. It's just that I couldn't help but remember that about halfway between our two properties, the place where you said you noticed a change in our Franken's demeanor, there just happens to be a fairly sizable pumpkin farm. Yes, but I failed to see how that minor geographical detail relates to my creation's current disposition. And, as you say, it's probably just nerves. <laughs> oh, good. They're here. Yes, but who's that they've got with them? It looks a bit like... No, it couldn't be. Why, look who it is, Chad! It's Zeke! Yes, and that guy who looks like a Twister game gone wrong. Mr. Stein, was it? Doctor. Good for you. And since we're making introductions, we'd like you to meet the gentleman who'll be responsible for taking away your family farm. Is that? It certainly is. Uh, see, Zeke, we heard about these shenanigans you boys have been getting up to out here, and 
You aren't the only one with a mad scientist on the payroll. We had our boys in the lab whip up something special. They spliced together the DNA of Fred Astaire, Rudolf Nureyev, Martha Graham, and John Travolta, and then grafted it onto a cloned body of Benito Mussolini. Why Mussolini? Oh, just a big fan. It's a me, Mussolini. I'm a gonna win. You sure are, buddy. Where's the stiff you dug up for this little shindig, Shadow Maven? I'll have you know that there was no digging involved. The bodies I used had yet to be interred. Uh, Franken, come over here. There are some irredeemable assholes I'd like you to meet. Well, that seems uncalled for. I present to you... Frankenstein, the greatest dancer of all time. <laughs> Dad, stop embarrassing Franken. Superlative, inappropriate for introduction. Wait, I thought the mad scientist here was called Frankenstein. No, I can assure you, Frankenstein is the name of the doctor's creation. Well... Whatever. Uh, since we're all here, we may as well get this dance contest. Over with as soon as possible. We've got Benny here scheduled for another dance-off in Poughkeepsie tomorrow afternoon. We're going to convert their orphanage into a jazzercise studio. And let's get started. The sooner you and Bradford are out of the barn, the better. I say! I say! Uh, venerated competitive dance judges... Assorted freaks and weirdos, I ask you to turn your attention to the dance floor. The first and, no doubt, winning competitor is about to begin his performance. Benny? At Brad's instruction, Benito Mussolini moved to the center of the band and launched into a dance routine the likes of which few have seen. His dynamism, gymnastic ability, creativity, and showmanship were all above reproach. Every eye in the barn was on him. Well, almost every eye. Frankenstein had smashed a small hole in one of the outer walls and was staring wistfully into the night with a look of longing that was familiar to anyone who had ever had a dream. But every other eye was on Mussolini. As I said, his mastery of technique was flawless, but that wasn't the only notable characteristic of his performance. There was a cruelty and disdain for his audience that fairly radiated off the cloned dictator, which was at once repulsive and strangely compelling. His very malevolence held your attention in a way that was undeniable. With every plie and grand jeté, he both drew you in and insulted you. When he transitioned from an arabesque into a mortified foxy trot, everyone in the audience felt that they'd been simultaneously kissed hard and slapped across the face. It was a routine that was as intoxicating as it was grotesque. And when it was over, you had no choice but to applaud. Every being in attendance who was a fan of the barn and was hoping for its continued existence began to share a look of concern that they might lose their beloved venue. Every being, that is, except for the doctor and myself. We had seen Frankenstein dance. We went over to where Dr. Stein's creation was gazing out of the makeshift porthole to ready our competitor for his performance. Well, Franken, this is it. The moment we've prepared for. Are you ready to send those scoundrels and their fascist Italian dictator packing? Oh. What is it? 
You're not nervous, are you? His dancing was certainly adequate, but he's nothing compared to you. Frankenstein, not one dance. What? Harvest pumpkins. And to lesser extent, decorative gourds. Farming? How could you possibly find satisfaction in such a pedestrian pursuit? It is beneath you! This is your moment! This is what you were created for! It's all we've ever longed for! No, Doctor. It's all you've ever longed for. Dancing was never Franken's passion. It was yours. Let him go. But... but the contest! You're born! Doc, opening this barn was my passion. Wouldn't be proper to keep it open by sacrificing someone else's dream. We'll figure something out. But! Ugh. I may be a genius, but I've been a fool. Franken, if farming is the life you must pursue, then follow your heart. Both of them. Go. Thank you, Father! We've got a door, you know. Aw, too bad your cowardly little creature was scared of a little competition and ran away. I guess that means you forfeit. Coward? Hardly. I wish I had half the courage and nobility my creation just displayed by pursuing their dream. If I had, I might have stood up to my own father the way that they just did theirs. How touching. If I weren't perpetually dehydrated from years of cocaine abuse, I'm sure I'd have a tear in my eye. Brad, do you know what my dream is? No, Chad, please tell me. My dream is that we tear down this barn and make a fortune selling luxury condos. Oh, Chad, what a beautiful dream! And I do believe it's about to come true. Not so fast, Chattingsley. If I'm not mistaken, we still have an opportunity to find a substitute dancer to compete in Franken's place. Absolutely, Zeke. Capital idea. Yes, a quick thinking there, old-timer. Now, which one of you disgusting monstrosities is a living human being and therefore an eligible contestant? Anyone? After a brief pause, three hands shot up in response to Bradford's derisive query. All three belonged to Dr. Furman Stein. Gentlemen, I believe I meet those dubious qualifications. If no one else is available, I am willing to compete on Mr. Shadow Maven's behalf. Thanks, Doc. I was hoping you'd pick up on that cue. Oh, <laughs> this is fantastic! Chad, not only do we get to see the old-timer's hope get crushed, but this haystack of appendages is going to be the one who puts the final nail in the coffin! Brad, it is moments like this that make the real estate business all worthwhile. Oh, hush up, you two. Doc, you sure you're up for this? Not even remotely. But I must at least make the attempt. Let's go. Dr. Stein began his dance a bit cautiously much to our opposition's amusement. But as the song went on, he moved with growing confidence and was soon dancing with a joy and abandon that was a delight to behold. He had retained nearly every move that he had observed from the lessons I had given Franken and instinctively adapted them to accommodate to his unique physiology. 
He may have lacked the precision and expertise of Mussolini, but he danced with an earnest sincerity and obvious passion that was impossible to ignore. As his performance built to a crescendo, his limbs, which had once appeared to be every bit the motley assortment of body parts that Chattingsley had described them as, began to weave in and out amongst each other in perfect harmony, like some sort of a breathtaking Harlem Globetrotters routine. By the time his song had ended and he finally collapsed in a heap in the middle of the dance floor, he had earned the respect and admiration of every creature in attendance. Well, nearly every creature. Oh, nice try, buddy. You nearly had us there. A for effort. Yeah, if it weren't for the fact that you're a terrible dancer, we'd really be on the ropes right now. So, Zeke, you just want to sign the barn over to us now, or...? Not so fast, Braddington. I believe there's still the matter of the judge's decision. <laughs> oh, by all means, Gramps. So, do you professionally trained impartial judges of the technical merits of dance routines vote for our competitor and his incredibly difficult, artistically innovative, and utterly flawless performance, or for this randomly gyrating pile of nonsense who really tried his best? We await your verdict. We... The officially accredited judges of this dance contest unanimously select Dr. Farman Stein as the winner. What just happened? Wait, what? I... I won? You sure did, Doc. Congratulations. You cheated, Shadow Maven! Well, now, how would I do that? Well, you're obviously using your vampiric thrall to affect the judge's decision. Yeah, no fair! Oh, that's a very serious accusation, young man. And one that I don't think you fully thought through. See, the contract that we signed in blood clearly states that the party of the first part, that's you fellas, is responsible for providing impartial judges. Now, if those judges were not impartial, because, say, someone had used a vampiric thrall on them, then you boys would be in breach of that contract. And the rules of hospitality, which prevent me from draining every drop of blood from your respective bodies, would no longer bind me. So, as I see it, there are two distinct possibilities. Option one is that the judges were impartial when they decided the contest in Dr. Stein's favor and I retained the ban. Or, option two, the judges were not impartial when they reached their decision, and therefore, I get to eat you and keep the ban. So, uh, how about it? Will you be congratulating the good doctor on a well-earned victory, or should, uh, I go pull out my special lobster bib with a picture of a real estate developer on it. Congratulations. Mr. Shadow Maven, have you ever considered getting into real estate? Oh, wouldn't dream of it. You fellas are far too bloodthirsty for me. After handing over the paperwork for the ownership of the barn, Braddington and Chattingsley left in a bit of a hurry. 
although whether that decision owed more to their upcoming appointment in Poughkeepsie, or a newfound sense of self-preservation, is a matter of the sheerest speculation. What requires no supposition on my part is the fact that the celebration which followed their departure lasted long into the night. After the last reveler had either gone home or fallen asleep in some corner of the barn, Dr. Stein and I made the short trek up the road apiece and watched Frankenstein joyously harvest pumpkins and decorative gourds until nearly sunup. And if tears of pride may have welled up in the doctor's eyes as he saw his creation begin to forge his own path in life, I'm sure that's none of my business. Wake up, Lawrence. <laughs> nah, I'm just fucking with you, Zeke. That was quite a story. Well, thank you, Lawrence. And a fair percentage of it might even be true. So I'm guessing the moral is that if my family can't accept me for who I am, then that's their problem? Oh, I suppose there might be a takeaway in there that's something along those lines, but that's not the primary reason I wanted to share that particular anecdote. Nah? Then why did you bring it up? Well, if you'll recall, when you first came in, you detected a certain aroma which piqued your appetite. Yeah? Well, it took me a bit of time to track them down. But let me present to you Chadley Braddington and Bradford Chattingsley. I thought perhaps if you were still a bit peckish. Ah, Zeke, you shouldn't have. Lawrence, weren't you listening to the story? Of course I should have. I've been looking forward to draining these scumbags for nearly 40 years. Why do you think I was so anxious for you to get home? I'm famished. Well, it was nice of you to wait. Happy Halloween, Ezekiel. Happy Halloween, Lawrence. Shall we? Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Tales from the Haunted Disco Barn was written, directed, edited, created, and, uh, produced. Yeah, that's one too. By me, Nathaniel Hubbard. Music was provided by Kevin McLeod. Brad Chattingsley was played by Dan Mulcairn. My good-for-many-things brother, Corey Whitney, provided the voice of the Jersey Devil. And I did all the rest of the voices. With the exception of Ezekiel Shadow Maven, who of course played himself. Thanks for joining us, and uh, happy Halloween! As the full moon rose over the peak of Splash Mountain, terror spread from the plume to the ornamental fountain. One hundred customers had felt the dark wolf's bite. Why is that water park even fucking open at night? It's a werewolf in a water park. A hairy situation. He's eating all the customers. And clogging up filtration. System, you shot a silver bullet, but...